and talk these things through. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to 2 Kings and chapter 6. 2 Kings and chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, as we look at this subject together. And uh, we really felt as we approached this weekend that we wanted you all, us all, together to have a bigger view of God, to have a greater understanding of who our great God is. And so the theme for this weekend is the glorious God. The Lord who is glorious and magnificent and wonderful, who we worship with all our hearts, we're going to focus and look more closely at him. So if you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, in a moment we're just going to start reading from verse uh, 8. I was with my, um, my father-in-law recently, and uh, we were look at, sitting by the, the sea, looking out to sea, and uh, Carol was talking to her mum at the time, and I thought, oh, I'm going to... I'm going to chat to my father-in-law because he's such a, such a lovely man. So I started to talk to him about his work. And he worked for 40 years. He worked on the London Stock Exchange. That's, he was a dealer. I was a member of the London Stock Exchange. And he worked there for 40 years. And he was telling me that as he was doing his work on a daily basis, he would uh, trade into the millions of dollars millions of dollars would pass through his hands, as it were, on a nod, on a handshake, or later on, on a click of a mouse. And it was just extraordinary. I used to feel, like I used to work for the Inland Revenue some years ago, I used to feel so important when I could press the button when somebody was in touch and release their tax return to them, their tax refund. Oh, I felt so, you know, like a couple hundred dollars. I thought, oh yeah, I can press a button. I am authorised to release this refund and a cheque gets generated and appears, you know, post three days later. Wow, that's amazing. But Dad used to deal in millions. I thought, what a responsibility that would be. But just to point out, he didn't deal in millions of dollars because he personally had millions of dollars. That's not what was going on. He didn't. He doesn't. That's not what was happening. It was actually who he represented. And he was able to do that job and to see these great things happen because of who he represented. You imagine a truck, a timber lorry, going hurtling down the road, 40 tonnes of timber lorry going down the road. And then all of a sudden, there in the road in front, a lady in a police officer's uniform steps out into the road and holds up her hand. What happens? Well, the truck stops. Of course it does. Why? Because that police lady has the power of Iron Man and can stop a truck, you know, just by the force of her hand. No. It's who she represents. It's the authority that she has to be able to make that truck stop. And you know, we as Christians are authorised to do all kinds of things. We are authorised as Christians to speak for him. When you speak, Jesus speaks. Really? Yeah, that's absolutely true. You're authorised to heal the sick. You have the badge. You can get out your badge and you can heal the sick. You are authorised to do it. You are authorised to cast out demons. Uh, Several times, just recently, I've been confronted by demonic things. 
and I was talking to a fellow pastor about a demonic thing that was happening, and he said, oh, he said, oh, do you think you could come round? And I said, no, no, you can deal with that. You're authorised to deal with that. You just deal with it. It's not difficult. You just deal with it. Why? Why can I say that? Well, listen, he's authorised to do it. Ah, this massive truck coming towards you. Now you can put your hand out and you can stop it and say, I have authority to stop this thing. We have authority to bring the kingdom into our family, into our school, into our workplace, into society. But you know, we face opposition and temptation can just seem crushing. You know, you face the situation, oh, it seems all too much. We can feel the pressure of sin. And it's draw on our lives. The world seems unstoppable. Evil just seems like it's it's oppressive and we cannot overcome it. But actually, that's not the case. And what we're going to do is we're going to look in 2 Kings chapter 6 and we're going to use Elisha as an example of how we can grow and how we need to grow and understand stuff so that we grow in our authority as Christians. Is that okay? So if you turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. Now the king of Aram, so Israel was against war against the, the Arameans. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Now the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who's the spy? Who's letting these people know where we're going to be camping? Who's the, right, monsters, who's the spy? And they said, none of us, my lord, said the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king of Israel ordered. King, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant, his name was Gehazi, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this enemy with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. 
After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. Then the king of Israel saw them. He asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them and after they had finished eating and drinking he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful that you've spoken of old and you speak today. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, just as you did Gehazi, that we may see you better, more clearly. We may see the wonders that you have placed before us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Three things, because there's got to be three, isn't there? Three, three things to help us from the experience of Elisha. Our first thing I want us to notice is that Elisha was aware of the spiritual realm. You see that in this story. You see, here he was, he was in prayer, but he was, the, the king of Aram thought that there were spies amongst him, but what he was actually doing is in prayer, prophetically, he was seeing where the enemy was, and he was warning his own king as to what was going on. In prayer, he saw the plans and the tactics of the enemy. And what an insight to be able to have. He was aware of the spiritual realm. And then there's this extraordinary example of when all these horses and, uh, of an enemy of uh, Israel had surrounded the city. Uh, it must have been incredibly frightening. That, and Gehazi, his servant, it must have been terrifying when he saw them surrounded in this awful way. But Elisha, he was, he was unafraid. I see something else is what we hear him say. And so Gehazi's eyes were opened, and lo and behold, uh, surrounding them were the, the chariots of fire, the horse, horsemen of God had surrounded Elisha and his people. Elisha had an awareness of the spiritual realm, and we need to have an awareness of the spiritual realm. There, it exists, the spiritual realm realm really exists. It is as real, if not more real, than the physical, actual, material world that we see and have uh, is a part of our daily lives. And why do I say even more real? Well, because God lives in that realm. And if God is living in that realm, that must be very, very real indeed. Science tells us that 95% of the universe is made up of dark energy and dark matter. And we don't know, nobody knows what dark energy and dark matter actually is. We just know it's not material. We just know it's something else. So 95% of the universe is made up of stuff which isn't this stuff. It's something else. 
Now, I'm not saying that's the spiritual realm. All I'm saying is that even science is pressing us to know that there is another dimension to life than the one that we see in the physical and the here and now, the flesh and blood life that we're living. And what that means is, is that as you go to school, as you step into your college, as you walk into your workplace, there are spiritual realities all around you. There are forces of good and evil everywhere around you. Now, please, don't think I'm saying that there's a demon behind every push. I'm not saying that. There's at least two or three. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. There, There are spiritual things at work, forces of good and evil that are work. There are angels and demons all over the place. But when you walk into those places, when you go into your home, when you go into your school, light goes with you. Forgiveness walks with you into your workplace. Power goes with you as you go into the government offices that you walk into. Do you see what's going on? This is what happens to us. We say the grace to each other sometimes. We do that sometimes. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us all evermore. Amen. We say that to one another. What? So that we might just have this nice warm glow as we walk away. No. No, no, no. It's grace to you. It's power to you. It's life to you. We we say it upon each other. Why? Because we take that wherever we go. Whatever environment that you walk into, that is what's going on. There is a spiritual realm and you take light and forgiveness and power wherever you are. A lady in our church, she used to work in a place not far from here, actually, a place which dealt with people with mental illness, uh, people who were struggling. And she worked there for many years. And this is, these are her words, not mine. Okay? She says that because there were a number of Christians who were working there and they prayed there, whenever the Christians were on duty at night during the day, whenever it was, peace reigned on all the souls within. Peace was there. And they could make progress with people and they could help people. She said, when the Christians weren't on duty, she says, literally all hell would break loose. Now, do we believe that? Yeah, we believe that. Why? Because there is a spiritual realm and it's out there. The question is, do we see it? Or do our eyes need to be open? There is a spiritual realm and Elisha was aware of it. The second thing that we want to notice is this. That Elisha had an extraordinary view of God's abilities and what he was able to do. God, for Elisha, God could do anything. Did you you notice that bit with the people turning them blind? Now, they didn't go actually blind because they'd all be going, oh, I'm blind, I can't see. What was happening is that Elisha prayed and they couldn't see what was going on. But it wasn't a Jedi move. Do do, do I? It was like, you know, I can imagine Alec Guinness, you know, going, you cannot see, I cannot see Come with me. I'll go with him. You know, you can see Alec Guinness doing that, can't you? You know, uh, put down your gun and leave the room. I will put down the gun and leave the room. You know, we can say, but that's not what was happening here. Elisha didn't have a Jedi move. He prayed. 
see, he was asking God to act and he had a very high view of what God could do. So he prayed and they were blinded to the situation and he led them somewhere else. And then he prayed, opened their eyes and their eyes were open and oh my goodness, we've been captured. (laughs) that's, that's, That's what happened, wasn't it? That's exactly what was going on here. He responded to God because he had a bigger view of who God was. Who is he? He is the Lord Almighty. My friends, our view of God is too small. J.B. Phillips, who wrote a translation of the Bible back in the 60s, he wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. My dear friends, our view of God is too small. We have a tendency to put God in a box. We domesticate him. We say, this is what he can do. This is what he can't do. He can't do that. He's not able to do the other. Uh, This is who we think he is. Here is God. And God has to break out of the box of our own minds and our own experience and our own interests. It's not about what we want from him. It's about who he really is. There was a, there was a lady back in the medieval times called uh, Julian of Norwich. She, it was a lady. There's a reason why she was called Julian, but don't worry about it. And she lived up in Norwich in a little room on her own. And in this little room next to the church, she had the most extraordinary experiences of God. She was what was called a mystic, a medieval mystic. And some of the things she said were just bizarre. You know, it's like, oh my word. But some of the things were just fascinating. She talks of a vision that she had. And she says this, she says, and in this vision, he showed me a little thing. The quantity of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand as it seemed. It was as round as any ball. I looked upon it with the eyes of my understanding and I thought, what may this be? And it was answered generally thus, it is all that is made. How big is our God? I tell you, everything that ever existed in time past, in time future, to the extent of the whole universe, the whole cosmos fits easily like the size of a hazelnut in God's hand. How big is our God? How great is our God? He is greater than that. He is the Lord Almighty. Ten years ago, ten years ago, this chap called Richard Dawkins wrote this terrible book called The God Delusion. Ten years ago, we just celebrated its tenth anniversary. Half of it we would agree with because we are sensible, rational people and don't like horrible things in the world. That's true. The other half of it is made up of the most nonsensical arguments you've ever come across in your life. And people bought into this. It's just madness. Because the central argument, the only argument that he has to make, can all be boiled down to this. Richard Dawkins' argument is this. If God made everything, then who made God? There we are. See, it's not true. To which we respond, there is a very simple answer to that. Who made God? No one made God. He is God. That's the point. Right? 
Our view of God is too small. He is the Lord Almighty. When Abraham met with God, and here is Abraham, desperate to have a child, desperate to have an heir to be able to pass the promises on to, what does God say? God says, is anything too hard for the Lord Almighty? Answer, no. When the angel met Mary, the Virgin Mary, the the mother of, of Christ, when she met, and she said, how can I have a child? I'm still a virgin. The angel said to her, nothing is impossible for God. Who is he? He is the Lord Almighty. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. It's not that he has eternity, uh, he's within eternity. God holds eternity in his hands. He is from everlasting to everlasting. There was nothing before him, there will be nothing after him. He had the first word, he'll have the last word. He is God. And if we want to start moving in the authority that God has given to us, we must start seeing God as he really is. His much, much bigger view of him. Several hundred years ago, they wanted a word. And people used to do this. They used to come up with words. They wanted a word to describe something that was really awesome and just a bit scary. And they came up this, with this word, sublime. Who is the Lord? I tell you, he's sublime. He is utterly, utterly awesome and just a little bit scary. That's who he is. In one of our hymns we used to sing, it talks about him being ineffably sublime. And we don't sing it because none of our young people would ever understand what these words mean. But it means that he is great. He is awesome. He is powerful. He is almighty and not a little bit scary. Yeah? He is ineffably sublime. There is nothing that God cannot do. He is omnipotent. There is nothing he doesn't know. He is omniscient. There is nothing that God doesn't understand. He is wise. His wisdom is beyond all wisdom. His ways are so pure, so wonderful, so high, they are, to quote the Bible, beyond searching out. That is who our God is. There was a, a, a Star Wars movie, back to Star Wars. I can't even remember which one it was, but there was a Star Wars movie when all the heroes, the little crowd of them, they were in this spaceship. I think they were underwater at this point. I don't quite know how they got underwater. I never quite followed those films, but never mind. And they were underwater, and they were going along blah, 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 in this spacecraft, and then behind them was this appalling monster, this kind of fishy type massive monster with gnashing teeth and it was started chasing them trying to get away and they couldn't they're trying to get and oh no it's terrible and it's terrible overpowering horrible monster with his nasty jaws was after them and then all of a sudden out of nowhere this huge monster with great big teeth came along and slapped up this terrible monster that was chasing them point <laughs> We might feel that we are being overtaken by something dreadful, but there's something bigger behind that. There's something greater behind that thing. I think that there are people here this morning who are feeling overshadowed, you're feeling oppressed, you're cowering under a number of things. There is a power that seems to have 
influence over you. Maybe it's the words of another person. Somebody said something and you're cowering under these other words. Maybe it was a poor start in life. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, somehow or other, you had a poor start in life. And that is, you're cowering under that. The power of that beginning that you had. Maybe it's an illness. I had an illness many years ago, really nasty. It influenced me for years. Years it had power over me. And maybe you're in that position where actually you're carrying, you're overshadowed by an illness that has happened to you or might happen to you. Maybe it is something actually just evil. Can I say to you, there is something greater than that thing which is making you cower and run away. There is someone greater than that thing which is having influence over your life today. I'll tell you who he is. He is the Father who made you and loves you. That's who he is. He is the Son who went to the cross and won victory over sin, over death, over the demonic, over darkness, over Satan. At Calvary, he won. He is the greater thing that is over your life. The greater thing over your life is the Holy Spirit. That power that raised Jesus from the dead who is at work in your heart and your life today. That is the greater thing. That's the bigger thing. Abraham, desperate for a child. Desperate for a child. He was 90 years old. His wife, 80 years old. Way, way beyond the ability, naturally speaking, of being able to have children. What does God, the greater one, say? He says, come outside. See those stars? Your family will be greater in number than the stars in the heavens. We have a greater God. We have the Lord Almighty behind us. There was this lady called Hannah. She too was desperate for a child, mocked continually by her, the, the other wife in the family. By the way, that's a good point. Don't have more than one wife. It never works out well. So just, just don't go there, okay? So um, stick to one if, you know, one's enough. Um, <laughs> And there she was, Hannah, being mocked by the other wife who could have children. And she went to the temple and she was crying out and Eli the priest thought she was drunk. And said, come on you drunken woman, get out of here, you're not supposed to pray drunk. And she says, no, I'm just, I'm calling out. And we can imagine what that was like. Because we pray like that sometimes, don't we? We're absolutely desperate, we pour out our hearts to God. Eli saw this and he's, he prayed for her and said blessing over her. And what happened out of her situation? God's needs of a prophet met her needs to have a son. And she had Samuel who would anoint King David. See, this is what happens. Our God is almighty. Much, much beyond that which you can bear. Daniel. Daniel, taken into captivity as a young man in an oppressed environment an environment where he was captured, where he was forced to learn things that he didn't want to learn, where he was forced into situations where he didn't want to be. But he did, and he rose to the the, the challenge that was before him all the time in an oppressive environment. They tricked him, and he ended up being thrown into a den of lions where they would inevitably just chew him up, eat him, pull him to bits, because that's what lions do. That's right, isn't it? 
Is that true for him? No. Why? Because there was one greater than the oppressive nature of an empire. There's one greater than the world. And he's one who can shut the, lion, the, the mouths of lions. He can do all of these things. He is almighty. Paul. Paul was in prison. Uh, on many occasions. On one occasion he was in this city, a city called Corinth, and it was just so destitute. I mean, it was famous around the world for its corruption. It was abhorrent. It was disgusting what this place was like. We think our world is bad. Corinth was very similar. It was just awful, the, the crime and the prostitution. It was in your face all the time. And as he slept, God came to him and said, Paul, stay here, because I've got many people in this city. In the place of oppression, God is bigger than that. God is bigger than the things that you are going through. He is bigger than your life is. So therefore, my dear friend, can we please stop making excuses for God and start treating God as God and start praying to God as he is God and speak to him for who he really is. It is time brothers and sisters, that we put the past behind, we put our fears behind, and we start treating God like God. The world will want to oppress you. The world would want to say, you're just a marginalised, strange group of people. No, we're not. We're servants of the Lord Almighty. That's who we are. We must no longer be ashamed of the Gospel. It's not, it's not right for us. I was talking to a friend of mine. Did, did you see on the news a few weeks ago about that beach that has been bought by, by the public, by the general public? Yeah, have you seen that? And has been re-given back to math and, uh, um, and so on. Yes, you've seen that. Well, the guy who's in charge, that's a Christian. And he's my friend, he's a pastor of a local church, Dwayne Major, lovely, lovely guy. I was talking to him the other day about these kinds of things. And he said, he said I, why are Christians so ashamed of the gospel? He said, why why is that? He said, I am convinced that in our thinking we are 20 years out of date. He said, we feel that we've just got to keep quiet about it. Don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to say too much. Don't want to mention the name of Jesus. Because people will just... He said, I think we're 20 years out of date. He said, I don't believe that is how the world regards these things. We are still, oh, got to keep quiet. He said, the world is not interested in us being quiet. They're actually interested to know. If that's your opinion, I would like to know. Please tell me. And we go, oh, no, no, I mustn't say. He said, no, the world wants us to tell, us, tell them what we really believe because they don't know. It's not that they're offended by it. They just don't know. We serve the Lord Almighty. It is friend, time, my friends, for us to not be ashamed of the gospel anymore. Three things this morning. Elisha was aware of the spiritual realm. Elisha had a big view of God. And Elisha had a sense of his own authority. See how he moved prophetically? I mean, quite extraordinary how he acted prophetically. In prayer, he saw what the evil one was doing. He saw what the enemy was happening. Prayer and prophecy always go together. They're like two sides of one coin. 
If you want to grow in the prophetic, as many of us want to, then you need to grow in prayer. And many times the reason that you are shown things prophetically about things that are happening in people or in your country or in, in the world is not so that you can share it or bring a word of prophecy, but so you can pray with authority. Yeah? And see things change because you pray with authority. We, Carol and I had a, a pastor and his wife come to see us just recently and shared with us some very, very difficult things that they and their family are walking through. As they were talking, Carol and I began to feel one or two things about the situation. I'm not going to say what it was, but it wasn't very nice. And as we prayed, we could pray for authority, and the result is the situations have turned around again and again and again. Why? Because you can pray with authority when God shows you things. He was aware of his authority prophetically. He was able to see prophetically. He was able to act miraculously. And he was able to advise strategically. Do you know who you are? You are ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. Those sent to a foreign land to represent the government of God. That's who you are. That's the authority you have. Do you know who you are? You are a worker in the harvest field. Luke 10, verses 2 and 3. What does that mean? It means around you are people that God is bringing to harvest and it is time for you to reap those people and bring them into the kingdom. That's, the, that's who you are. That's your authority. That's your role. Do you know who you are? You are healers and freedom deliverers. Have you not read Mark 16 and its parallels in the other Gospels? What does it say? Go. It says, go make disciples. It says, go and heal the sick, raise the dead. It says, which is pretty amazing. One day it will happen. I've only ever prayed for two people who were dead. Neither of them were raised. One day it might happen. Uh, I know a friend of mine, he went to a, a church and on the notice board on the way in is a death certificate of a current church member. Wow. <laughs> does that happen? Yeah, of course it does. Because we are authorised to do these things. We are authorised to see people set free. Do you know who you are? You are a more than conqueror. Romans 8 verse 37. The word is a made up word. It's a Paul made up word. It's Nike. You know like the sports brand, just do it. And he, he said, no, no, you're more than that. You are hyper Nike. You are more hyper, just do it. What does God say to you? This is who you are. You are somebody who more than just does it. You are someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. You are somebody who knows the authority of God and you more than just do it. That's who you are. Who are you? You are, according to Philippians 4 verse 13, able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to just fly now. No, 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 no. It doesn't mean that kind of... It doesn't mean that. It means you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all the things I'm supposed to do. All the things I am called to do. All the things that you were made to do. All the things that you are being sanctified to do. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What was interesting is that Elisha knew his, his sense of authority because he wore the coat. He had Elijah's cloak. Now read the story, it's wonderful. 
His master, his disciple, was a man called Elijah who just did incredible things for God. And when he went to be with the Lord, Elisha got his coat. I've taken to wearing jackets recently. I mean, smart, you know, proper jackets. And I find it gets me things that I wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, it's quite extraordinary. You go in with a jacket and you get good seats in restaurants, you get served probably. They call you sir and look after you. A young lady in our church was having terrible problems with her bank. Couldn't get them to do anything. I went in my jacket. (laughs) What can we do for you, sir? Yes, of course we can. Yes, we'll make that happen. It happens all the time. In my jacket. (laughs) I'm not wearing it today. Never mind. Perhaps I don't need it today. But you you know it makes a difference. And Elisha knew the difference because he had the sign of his authority over his shoulders. Who are you? You are clothed with Christ. That's who you are. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing by the Father in Christ Jesus. That is who you are. My dear friends, we must begin to see God in his glorious state. He is the Lord Almighty who authorises you to live and work and serve him in the world. Maybe your eyes need to be opened this morning. Maybe you need a bigger view of God. Maybe this morning you need to recognise who you are in Christ so that as you walk into the world, you know who you're taking with you. We're not going to have a ministry time now. We're going to do that after the next session. But I'd love to pray. Is that okay? Come on, let's stand.